As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. The Athletic. Football League show. A momentous midweek at both ends of the championship with Luton, Millwall, and Forest amongst the winners. Reading gave their survival hopes a shot in the arm, but tis time up for Tisdale at Stevenage. We'll preview the weekend's key clashes with crunch games at the top of the championship and the bottom of League One. All that and more to come on this Totally Football League show in association with Paddy Power. It's Thursday, you know what that means. Time for us to gather and pour over the big news and notes from the EFL. I'm Matt Davis-Adams, joined today by just Sam Parkin. Sam, the technical gremlins means that it's just me and you today, but we'll be all right, won't we? We'll soldier on, won't it? It's, it's like lockdown again, isn't it? We should have a, <laughs> have a couple of drinks and maybe have a quiz. Uh, you already had a quiz from me today, you're not getting any more. Yeah, um, I have. We're going to get straight into the midweek championship games and we'll start at Kenilworth Road. Luton beating Preston by four goals to nil, up to fifth as a result of this. Seven wins in 10 and, and an impressive response to what happened against QPR the weekend. Clearly, Nathan Jones' tears and heartbreak had an effect on his players. It really was because it feels like there's little margin for error now considering the form of the, the teams just outside the playoffs uh, and some of the sizes of the, the squad, uh, the quality of you know Middlesbrough, Sheffield United, Forest and, and the like. So... Almost had to win this game, I think, in response after the disappointment of, of QPR and did so resoundingly well. Had a bio, Cornick reunited in attack. Um, Berry getting a couple of important goals. Go back to November for the last back-to-back defeat. So I think that, you know, underlines, again, just what a good spirit they've got at, at Luton. And obviously Nathan Jones is, is paramount in that. And they'll need that spirit, won't they? Because it, although, as you said on the television last night, this was a nice fixture for them, given it Preston haven't got much to play for. Luton's still got to play Millwall, Blackpool, Fulham, Forest and Huddersfield. So on the one hand, you'd say that's a tough run in. On the other hand, you'd say, well, that's an opportunity for us to, to take points off those teams and, and stop them making or increasing the ground they have on us. Yeah, I think Coventry have just had a real tough run against teams in a similar predicament to them. I don't know, with Luton, you'd almost, a bit of a cliche, but, you know, they seem to turn up in the big games. You know, I think of the way they, they played against Fulham and, and Bournemouth, to name just two at home. Obviously, QPR challenging recently. Um, they put on a decent display. I don't think that they're overawed by anyone 
to be honest. It's probably just injuries that's going to hold them back. And they ended uh, without any of the back three that started the QPR game. So that's a big issue because I think that's where they've been particularly strong. I've I've loved Naismith this season. I think he's a, a terrific ball player in centre-half. Burks, excellent as well on the on the right-hand side. And, and Lockie has been pretty good since he's been at the club as well. So that's going to take some getting over. And that's not to mention the goalkeeping issues they've had throughout the campaign. So that's the only thing really I see stopping Luton. You know, I, I think they're, they're still a very good shout to creep in there. There's going to be one surprise, whether it's them or Millwall or maybe someone else coming from deep. But, um, you know, it was, a, it was a great win last night to respond. Well, you mentioned Millwall. They ended Huddersfield's 17-game unbeaten league run, a 2-0 win at the Den. Benicafobe got both of them. Where's this crept up from, Sam? I mean, it's an eight-game unbeaten run, so it's not like you know they've only just won their last couple of games or whatever. But but I'm sure we were saying that they were one of the few teams without much to play for for the rest of the season a couple of weeks ago. I think it's, again, that underdog spirit. Gary Rowett spoke about it last night, just taking you know, each game in isolation, not probably worrying about the bigger picture because there's not that huge external pressure from the supporters. Um, I think, you know, everything I've read recently that there's a there's an understanding of the restrictions on Gary Rowett, maybe at the club, in terms of, you know, the amount of quality he's got, the amount of players he's got. And the, there's a realisation that he's doing a pretty damn good job. Um, this recent run, of course, is... Is about the, the 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 defensive setup, the clean sheets that they're churning out, and against good opposition as well. You know, Middlesbrough, Blackburn, Huddersfield in in recent weeks. These are you know top championship sides that they're um, they're keeping out. But you know, I think I spoke about it with Clarkey on a recent podcast. You know, that front line when it fires is is very very good. And and last night, you know, they all came to the party. Bennett, Wallace. And obviously a phobia and they've got Bury, the young lad in reserve right now. So that's four excellent attacking options um, that they've got, which they can rely on, you know, having that defensive shape, let those three or four go and go and produce the goods. And and last night, a phobia was, was the man, as so often happens against one of his former clubs. I think they had three former Huddersfield players in their ranks. And um, that was as one-sided as the Luton victory. I mean, that should have been 3-4-0, no problem at all to Millwall. We'll talk more about Huddersfield later in our preview section, but let's move on to Forrest against QPR. Davis Adams versus Parkin and Lloyd Hughes. Uh, <laughs> Forrest coming from behind to beat Rangers after a scintillating second half performance. I was there at the city ground for this one. Andre Gray had put Rangers ahead, um, but what about that Jed Spence strike? It was just, I mean, larruped would be the word that I would use. Jed Spence. Oh! Just marvel at that! What an absolutely stunning goal from Jed Spence. Yeah, almost like a dead ball, wasn't it? Like a free kick, the kind of wobble technique. It was it was a bit peculiar, but very much a modern day long range goal. You didn't see them too often on the the mud patches of the 70s and 80s. It was an inc- incredible goal. And um, yeah, it turned the, 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 the game on its head, really, from that moment. You know, Forrest were the only side in it, QPR... It felt to me ran out of a bit of steam. The Chris Willock injury would have deflated them, even though uh, Ilias Chair is a, a great deputy last night. But I think just after that emotive victory at Luton, 
bit too much going to Forest in the following game when you're not playing well as well, Matt. They're not playing well. You know, I, I tried to articulate it on the TV the other day. Three or four games to go. Doesn't matter how you get the points. Just get yourselves in the playoffs and potentially get yourselves in the Premier League. I'm talking about maybe a third of the season that Rangers haven't been playing free-flowing stuff like they were in the early weeks. I can think of so many recent victories post-Christmas where they haven't really deserved the three points. It's an issue and you feel in the back of your mind you might get that momentum from the Luton game. But I think the the issues with um, some injuries to key players at the moment, Dykes, um, Willock, now horrendous goalkeeping issues, it's going to be a real fight um, to get into those playoffs. But yeah, no qualms last night. You deserved your, your night. Like you so often get against QPR, Matt. I think I've only had one victory at the city ground in my, uh, in my long-suffering years. Yeah, it's about 30-odd years or so. Um, yeah, so David Marshall goes off injured. Senny Dieng was unavailable. Defender Lee Wallace finished in goal. And as is always the case in, in this situation, he didn't have a single save to make. There were only a couple of couple of minutes to go at that point. Um, I'm still surprised that Forrest aren't in the playoffs, Sam. Do you think that they are bound for them now, given the form? And, and if not, will it be because they're going to be without the likes of Steve Cook and Max Lowe for the next six weeks? Oh, I, I don't know. I think... Um... I'm with you, really. I think it's been such a incredible period under Steve Cooper. The, the second best, isn't it? Since um, in terms of points, since Chris Hewton was was replaced, so he's done a miraculous job turning around a club that was, I don't know, just in the midst of such a, a lull. It was it was really tough watching Forest. I think the last couple of years. So now these two most recent results have got to be backed up now you know, um, in, in some tricky games around the corner. I say tricky games, Blackpool, Coventry, Birmingham. You could argue there's three teams who have got very little to play for. I think, you know, Coventry need to probably take maximum points the next couple of fixtures to stay in with a shout. Um, I could see their their opportunity to get in the playoffs petering out. So these next three games, yeah, ma- massive to to creep themselves into the playoffs. And the small matter of an FA Cup quarterfinal against one of the best teams in Europe to come on Sunday too. Well, you mentioned Coventry there, Sam, beaten 2-0 at home by Hull. I mean, this only days after that impressive come-from-behind win against Sheffield United. They didn't have Mark Robbins and AD Vyvash for that one. And they didn't even have Dennis Lawrence, who took the team on Saturday for this one. So it was uh, Luke Tisdale, the under-23s coach, who took charge. It's funny, isn't it? Because you say on Saturday, it obviously didn't have that much of an effect, but it's got to have an effect, hasn't it? Not having your three main first team coaches on the touchline. It just, just can't be that, that same continuity or, you know, whether it's the, the players not understanding what the, the new guy wants or, or just that feeling of discomfort that the usual people aren't there. Yeah, and probably I think in the days preceding or maybe it was just a day on the training ground. Yeah, that that's a bit of an issue, uh, I would say. Um, it maybe takes care of itself when you get round to match day. I don't know how much of a bearing, for example, Aidy Vivash, Dennis Lawrence has on a match day. They'll have their their duties, whether it's set pieces, you know, whether it's taking the warm up and, and and such like. So it could have been a bit of a destabilizing factor, but I wouldn't put it hugely down to that last night. I just think it's a bit of a roller coaster supporting Coventry at the moment um, from the highs of beating Sheffield United to that last night in the first half defensively woeful uh, you know I thought and it's um, yeah, uncharacteristic 
maybe for them. You know, I've liked their back three for a number of years. They're a bit patched up there with Ben Sheaf, a midfield player playing in the, the middle. So I think that's that's part partly why it went wrong last night. That said, there was three or four contentious decisions that went for Hull City last night. I thought there was there was probably a penalty uh, for a tackle on Tavares uh, at 2-0, which would have given them a bit of a lifeline. But yeah, I mean, if I was... If I was unsure about Blackburn being proper, automatic, promoted uh, contenders, it's probably the same for for Coventry in terms of their their race for the playoffs. Cheltenham 2022 is underway and we've already seen some cracking contests in the Cotswolds. Not to mention the biggest influx of Irish since London in the 1980s. They're here and they're making a big deal about the greatest rivalry Britain's never heard of. So, as the British trainers aim to put the Irish trainers back in their little green horse boxes, here at Paddy Power, we're turning up the generosity every day at Cheltenham. Like a completely free £5 bet on any race on day three of the festival. Paddy Power. Max free bet £5 per customer. T's and C's apply. 18 plus. BeGambleAware.org. You're listening to the Totally Football League Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. Uh, let's go back to Tuesday. Big game at the bottom of the table. Barnsley's recent revival continuing. They beat beleaguered Bristol City by two goals to nil at Oakwell, scoring twice in the first half of the first half. Great for Barnsley. We talked a lot about them lately, Sam. They've got Carlton Morris scoring in successive games for the first time in more than a year. Only two points behind Reading now. But from a Bristol City perspective, your manager used to be a centre-half. How do you not mark at corners? It's absolutely atrocious defending for these two goals. Yeah, the first one was kind of allowed to drop in the six-yard box, wasn't it? Um, I think it was the the young Bristol City centre-half who, who, who missed the flight of it. And then Barnsley get a bit of good fortune with the ricochet. But the second one, um, again, the Bristol City players seem to be remonstrating maybe with the referee about a potential block, but it was weak defending. They've been atrocious in that department throughout the season, just reading that have conceded more from set pieces. And I think it's just a case of Bristol City being worked out last night. Barnsley doing their work on the training ground, probably recognising that there was a weakness in the, at the near post and taking full advantage. And it's it's somewhere that Barnsley was incredibly strong last year and have gone away from it this year. And I think that they had 11 more set-piece goals in the previous campaign, which would have amounted to a considerably better points tally over the course of the season. So um, if they can add that to their armoury, then you know they're a, they're a problem for Reading right now because they've got, seem to have a feel-good factor about the place. And, you know, you go on the... Um, uh, the message boards and such like a while ago, he was getting absolute pelters, um, the, the the manager. So the turnaround has been, yeah, a lot down to him, but a lot down to players coming back into form like Carlton Morris and and also the new arrivals in, in January being, being bang in form. Keener and, and Bassi, I don't think I've put a foot wrong really since they've come into the side. So uh, if Reading are showing, I suppose, a glimmer of life, um, yeah, Barnsley are... Barnsley are putting on a hell of a challenge. It's going to be a great battle between those two. So we're ruling Derby out now then. Fifty feet in six for them. They lost 3-1 at Blackburn, having been in front. Um, big win for Blackburn. First time they'd scored more than once in a league game this year. But they had momentum, Derby, but it seems to have very much stopped now. Yeah, I just... You want to see some kind of glimmer away from home that they're going to 
start garnering points, but seven straight defeats on the road. You know, a bit of a lack of a goal threat. I think planned since he's had his his move and the loan back, he's not hit the heights. Kazim Richards has not been, I don't think, available for many games or he's not he's not played as a nine. So he's trying different permutations at the top of the pitch. Well, not the first time we've seen Morrison play as a false nine and obviously got himself a goal. But no, I don't think it's sustainable if you can't arrest this, this horrendous uh, recent away record. So yeah, worrying as well the way they capitulated against the side that have um, had such problems themselves in front of goal. You know, Blackburn looked completely revitalised in the second half once Tony Mowbray had had 15 minutes to get into them. So I'm sure that was not for the faint-hearted that half-time because two changes, complete change in, in the setup says to me that he was very displeased with the first period and um, Blackburn, you know, deservedly got the got the points. But yeah, I think it's looking difficult for Derby unless they can start picking things up on the road. So difficult for Derby, Barnsley on the way back and Reading picked up an excellent point away at Bournemouth. Scott Parker watching from the stands for this one, a one-match ban for him after he was sent off at Preston earlier this month. Uh, do we owe the Ince family an apology? For the goal, one of the best Terrific. strikes I've seen in the last few weeks. Yeah, probably. It's, it's exactly what football's about. You know, the celebrations with the fans and the ones who've travelled you know, on Tuesday night all the way down here. Um, to give him that is great. <laughs> it looked like he was on his way maybe, didn't he, Tom Ince? He was being restrained by a few of the players, maybe on his way to have a few choice words with someone. Uh, for someone who just scored such a brilliant goal, he looked a little bit displeased. But Yeah, no, that's a, a great point for him. Second half, by all accounts, they controlled the ball. Um, as much to do with Bournemouth's inability to put games to bed, inability to play attacking football over over the course of two halves. And it's the same criticism that comes time and time again for Scott Parker. You know, little subtle changes in the the, the formation at halftime, took Campwell off and and um, he, he brought Lowe on, but he, he changed the configuration of the side and made them a little bit more defensive and then also brought Pearson on quite early. So he just tries to see out games, Scott Parker. And he's good at doing so at times, but it's got the potential to go wrong. And... Reading dominated in the, in the second half. And I wouldn't say say so much that he's under pressure from the hierarchy at the club because it doesn't feel like that. And when you consider the position they're in, but I think from the, the supporters side, um, yeah, the, I think there'd be a, a, a pretty large percentage right now who wouldn't mind someone else coming in, which sounds incredible, but that seems to be the flack that he's getting is, a, is amounting to that type of thing. Yeah, last three games, been at home, to Peterborough, Derby and Reading, and they've won one of them. They are three points clear of third place Huddersfield and they've got three games in hand on them. But as everybody's saying at the moment, you'd rather have the points on the board and the games in hand. Uh, West Brom beat Fulham by a goal to nil. Good win for Steve Bruce and West Brom and all that. But let's be honest, this is probably not going to affect what happens to either of those two this season. West Brom, a little bit short for the playoffs and Fulham, well, they're going up, aren't they? Uh, our friend Adrian Clark was at St Andrews on Tuesday night to see Middlesbrough win an away league game for the first time this year. He sent us this report. Yeah, Birmingham City looked a really bad side in this contest. They started out okay in a 3-5-2, but that changed to a 4-4-2 diamond during the first half when Mengi went off injured. But in both setups, there was no discernible pattern of play. And the longer the match went on, the more disjointed their performance became. The players had no fire at all 
in their bellies. The atmosphere was pretty non-existent, I've got to say. And, and worryingly, it just feels like the Blues fans are now so disenchanted that the apathy has set in. Borough were solid. The back three were excellent. Dyke, Steele, McNair lived up to the height with their trademark marauding runs, although McNair's penalty miss was pretty feeble. Tavernier was bright in midfield. But up top, I think the star man was Flo Balogun, had perhaps his best display in a Borough shirt. He linked play brilliantly for the opening goal with a back heel. His goal was a sumptuous curler and he also had a 1v1 finish that was disallowed. He was excellent. Hopefully he can build his confidence from here. Um, Borough won this 2-0 in third gear, I'd say. And in a nutshell, they looked a well-oiled, cohesive team. Birmingham were the opposite. Always good to hear from Adrian Clark. Right, we'll have a look at what happened in Leagues 1 and 2 next. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard it right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask me. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. You're listening to the Totally Football League Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. If you want to read more Football League content from the likes of Nancy Frostick, Paul Taylor, Phil Buckingham, Peter Rutzler, and more of the Athletic's best writers, you can do so by heading to theathletic.com forward slash league show and get yourself a subscription of just £1 a month for the next six months. That's theathletic.com forward slash league show. Amongst the standout results in League One on Tuesday, Rotherham made hard to work for three points against Lincoln. They were 2-0 up after 13 minutes, but had to survive a late scare to preserve their victory. Friend of the show, Chidozi Ogbene, with what proved to be the decisive goal. This feels like a big win, actually, Sam, for Rotherham, because it was their first in four. It means they're seven points above MK. They they were on their their worst run of the season, if you can say such a thing for the season that they've had. But important to get the victory here. It was, yeah, and especially, you know, after the last week, which has been quite testing, I think, physically for, for Rotherham. I mean, Paul Warren was in, in brilliant form after the um, Papa John's victory over Hartlepool, but he was literally down to his bare bones in terms of his uh, attacking talent. So much so, I think he put out a rallying call the, the day before the game as to who wanted to play number 10 and said he saw about 10 arms shoot up into the air only for Ben Wiles' night to be to be cut short because of an injury to someone else playing in that role. So, yeah, good to see f- for them having Coyote up there with Smith for this game and Ogbeni back in and uh, and Wiles getting getting a goal. And yeah, it shouldn't have been as close as it was. You know, you talk about Scott Parker making defensive changes. Paul Warren did, did that himself last night, Harding and McDonald on for Ogbeni and, and Barlasser. You know, two very defensive subs to shore up a uh, an advantage, and and Lincoln very nearly came back in. But it's what Rotherham have done all season; just you know, trailed once at half time uh, throughout this whole campaign. So they're brilliant, fast starters. They know how to manage games, and they'll do it again. You know, as the season continues. So yeah, big big win, big win against um against a side who are very capable but I've been so inconsistent this year. It must, must be such a frustration for Michael Appleton and the, the Lincoln support because they've got some talented boys. 
Well, Wigan kept up the pressure on Rotherham with a 2-0 win and a crew side who are starting to look doomed to League Two. Um, what's it like, Sam, when you can see just before and just after half-time like crew do here? In, in my head, that's about as demoralising as it gets for players because you, you want to get to half-time, you know, having kept your sheet clean and then you concede and the manager says, right, do this, that and the other and then you won't concede again and then it happens straight away. I think last night, given the, the circumstances that crew find themselves in the second one would have been the the, the 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 big blow. I think you're playing against a very talented side, albeit at home, 1-0 behind at half-time. You're still thinking you stay in the game to the latter stages and you might be able to salvage something. I think the second one makes it a bit of a foregone conclusion, the way that Wigan can defend um, the quality of their their players. And, and the lack of crew goals, I think, I think they've only scored two once in the last 12 games or something, which it's not something the players will go into the game necessarily thinking about, but it's fact that <laughs> they're not full of goals right now. And then they're invariably not going to score two against one of the top sides. So probably was a difficult 40 minutes or so for them. And um, the season, yeah, looks to be petering out. There's the, the sides down there. Well, what? Yeah, probably Gillingham. Um, that have shown a little bit more fight in in the last few weeks. Um, there's some that there seems to be a certain sense of inevitability about and crew are certainly top of that list. Yeah, eight points from safety now. Fleetwood in trouble too after they lost at Adams Park. Uh, Wickham snatching a late victory thanks to the scruffiest goal of the week. James McCarthy got it on 90 plus four. We'll talk more about Fleetwood later, but this significant for Wickham. Sam because of the nature of the victory but also because it, it leaves them only a point outside the playoffs I'd I'd probably say that was a must win for Wickham um, so definitely a more significant victory for them when Fleetwood's fate is not going to be decided by that type of type of fixture they, they need to beat the teams around them that's clear as day but for, for Wickham absolutely vital that they got the win and I think you know, credit to Gareth Ainsworth because I think he spoke around the Rotherham game about even at this stage of the season playing a bit differently, a bit more control in possession and a change in formation. You know, they were playing that back three and they had Jacobson for one. I think McCarthy at times, a beater as well. Not recognisable central defenders playing different role uh, for the manager in this system. So to change to a back four, four two three one, I think he's gone to. And it's three clean sheets in four, three victories. So, yeah, I think four victories, actually. I mean, you know, enormous credit for making that change at this stage of the season and, and getting a result so quickly. But, yeah, I mean, we, we speak about it so often, a late goal. You know, they'd, they'd probably, if I was still playing, it's the last place you'd want to be in the last five, ten minutes trying to hold on to something, honestly, because we know the physicality of them. We know the delivery that our mate Joe puts in. And... Um, you know, set pieces, direct balls, they put you under enormous amount of pressure. So those 12 points that they've won in um, uh, added on time is, is probably going to be the reason why they go close this year again. Uh, Shout-outs too to Shrewsbury for thumping Morecambe 5-0 and Accrington for bringing a point back from Hillsborough. They drew 1-1 with Sheffield Wednesday. In League Two, there was a second successive 2-0 win for Bradford. Port Vale moved above Mansfield after beating them 3-1 and Bristol Rovers are into the playoffs after a narrow win against Colchester. Uh, meanwhile, a 2-1 home defeat to Northampton. The final straw for Stevenage, who sacked Paul Tisdale on Wednesday, replacing him with Steve Evans. 
Uh, it's been a while since Graham Wesley was in charge, Sam. Did they decide they just needed another Aggie manager to get them away from the bottom of League Two? Seems to be the way there, doesn't it? Shame for Tisdale. I thought when he initially went in, I think I think we said on the podcast, you know, they're, they're no longer relegation candidates maybe four or five weeks ago because the turnaround after a few games was was evident for everyone to see. A lot of experienced signings. He's He's got the know-how of getting out of trouble in League Two. Yeah, he's a very different type of manager to Steve Evans, I would suggest. So it's going to be a bit of a shock for uh, the players who would have been, yeah, under pressure. But in my experience, it's quite a nice environment uh, that, that Paul Tisdale puts on for the for the players. You know, it's not, it's, it's not kind of running them or, you know, any old school methods or going over the top in terms of lambasting them. You know, it's all quite measured um, in terms of trying to make game plans to pick up points. So, yeah, it's uh, going to be a different tact, I'm sure, from Steve Evans, but they are sleepwalking themselves into big trouble. So something probably needed to be do- done considering the, the eight-game winless run. Steve Evans, who left Mansfield to take a League One job at Gillingham, might find himself in the National League next season. Who's his first game as Stevenage manager against? Of course, it's at Mansfield this weekend. Uh, it's now seven games without a win for Forest Green Rovers, held at home by a Leighton Orient side. It's still looking for their first win of 2022. Sam, you and Adrian have been so dismissive of me over the last few weeks. Is it happening? Is there a chance it's happening? Is the is the gap still big enough? I mean, it's 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 more than a wobble, this, isn't it? Seven games. There is seriously something up there. Yeah, it's definitely a wobble. I think it's Colchester up next for them. So if we can... We can... Uh... Speak after that, I'll give you a more definitive answer because if they lose that one, then they are in trouble. Um, I think I think there's a lack of confidence there. I think tiredness is an issue. And I say that, and I don't say that lightly because I think it's a bit of a cop-out sometimes, but I think it's a pretty small squad. Essentially, it's the squad that Mark Cooper had and they weren't able to get out of the division. So Rob Edwards has done a brilliant job. I just think if he could have had maybe a couple of new signings in January, for example, even a slightly deeper squad start of the season, we probably wouldn't be having this conversation right now. I look at the bench, I look at the game changes that are available to them. There isn't really any. Jake Young, quite an um, exciting front player, is one who could come in, but do you want to break up that partnership of Stevens and Matt that have gotten such success? Teams seem to be doing a good job on those two and on the wide boys right now, Cadden and, and Wilson, who had exceptional first halves of the season so it is a big worry I still think they'll make it and the reason I think they'll make it is because I don't see a a team beneath them with the quality to go consistently uh, till the end of the season and and close that gap they've still got a nice cushion and I think Forest Green will garner enough points somehow All right, so that was the midweek action we'll preview some of the weekend's standout fixtures next This episode is supported by Season 3 of FX's Welcome to Wrexham. Celebrity owners Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds' small-town Welsh football club has finally been promoted into League 2 after 15 seasons in the National League. Dedicated staff and supporters celebrate the city's return to glory while bracing for the newfound challenges that come with being in a higher division. Will Wrexham AFC stand up to the challenges and rise again into League 1? FX is Welcome to Wrexham. Catch all new episodes Thursdays on FX. Stream on Hulu. 
This is the Totally Football League Show with Matt Davis-Adams. Big game at the top of the championship goes down in Yorkshire where Huddersfield Town welcome Bournemouth to the John Smith Stadium. We were talking about Forest Green before the break, Sam, and, and what constitutes a wobble. Huddersfield been amazing this season. I'm not saying they're in wobble territory yet, but lost at Forest in the Cup, threw away that two-goal lead at West Brom last week and then beaten at Millwall. This is a testing period for them, therefore, but, but actually they might like the fact that they're playing a team who they are essentially competing for second place with. That, that kind of changes the stakes of this game a little bit, doesn't it? It becomes less about Huddersfield's form and more about the importance of this individual fixture. Yeah, if they can put their own woes aside and yeah, focus on what will probably be quite a nervy Bournemouth squad, then, then absolutely I don't see any doubt to rule them out from um, you know winning this game. Uh, Huddersfield... I think impress me every time I see them in terms of their, their tactical flexibility. I think the manager, the co- the way he coaches the players is is excellent. You never know what shape they're going to play. I think it was um, back to a, a three at the back for the trip to Millwall. It didn't necessarily work, but for 20 minutes, 15 minutes at the start, they, they got some joy, got some shots off. Bierkowski was called into action. They got three good centre-halves, three really good centre-halves. I mean, me and you know Levi Colwell, Matt, Tom Lees and Matty Pearson. And I think you consider the season that they've all had, the form they've had. I think sometimes that makes it very difficult for the manager to leave one of them out. So it gives them great flexibility to play with a three or or to play with a four. So it'd be fascinating to see what he does tactically for this game. But it's probably going to be whether Scott Parker can can get in front and, and stay in front. You know, can he can he put a side out there who's going to be a bit more free-flowing, a bit more attack-minded? Because not that he's going to appease everyone, but I think a performance is required for Bournemouth right now. I don't think getting points, getting over the line in matches is going to satisfy everyone that follows the club. Well, this is a fixture that they've had a lot of success in in recent years. They've won the last five meetings between the sides and pretty big scores too. 14-2 is the aggregate over those five matches. Uh, if you like your League One action low on quality, but sky high on tension, then Fleetwood Town v Doncaster Rovers. Just the game for you. Uh, we mentioned Fleetwood's defeat at Wickham. In their last three mi- matches, they've let a goal in after the 90th minute, two of which were winners. Bottom of the form table, not one since that weird victory against Rotherham of all teams in January. At the moment, as it stands, are they one of your teams to go down? Oh... I think they have to be, yeah. I mean, I looked at the goal scorers this morning. Gerald Garner's been back for, I think, two starts after having an absence for injury. He's got seven. And then the next net, the, the next top goal scorer is Danny Andrew, fullback with, with six goals. He's got six assists as well. So he contributed loads early part of the season. But for a team that we were quite complimentary about in an attacking sense, I think there's some Serious pressure on Ghana to get back in the side and get the goals. They played Danny Butterworth on loan from Blackburn at Wickham in the week. And by all accounts, he was very good, but hasn't scored yet on loan for the club. So that's going to be very interesting to see who can come up with the goods in an attacking sense. Average age of the side at Wickham, under 21. Um, Five starters, 21 and under, which, yeah, this is a manager who has coached the young lads at Fleetwood. And he knows them and he trusts them. 
do they have enough experience for the predicament that they're in right now? I would say no. You know, and they're in exactly the, the same type of situation as Wimbledon. They can't get points. They 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 can't see out um, advantages. That's thirteen they've conceded in the last ten minutes. Only Gillingham with a worse record. So there's a fragility about this Fleetwood side, and I always say it: five straight defeats at the moment, six, seven. That's normally when chairman decide it's time to make a change. So you wouldn't be surprised if someone came in maybe to help Stephen Craney in the time that remains. And for Doncaster, it's must win, isn't it? Four points behind Fleetwood and Wimbledon as it stands. The worst goal difference in the division. And what? We've only got eight games left to go. So even a draw is not much use to them here. No, but you know what I'd say about Doncaster is they've pulled out a few results when you, you thought they were dead and buried. They, they beat MK Dons, I seem to recall, relatively uh, recently. Went to Sunderland and won. So there's something there. They got they got a little bit of impetus from the, the January signings. Um, whether it's going to be enough to stay in the division, I doubt. But similarly to last week's game against Gillingham, this is enormous. I think for, for morale more than anything, you know, to play against a relegation rival who are in dire straits and not pick up anything, I think that could probably be the end of Doncaster. Uh, in League Two, meanwhile, we're taking a look at Sutton United versus Tranmere Rovers at Gander Green Lane. Contrasting fortunes for the pair of midweek. Sutton lost at Swindon. Tranmere had a straightforward win against Harrogate. Means Sutton are replacing three points off the playoffs whilst only goal difference keeps Tranmere out of the automatic promotion places. Uh, Sutton, outside the playoffs then, lost to Swindon in midweek. Uh, they've got Wembley on their mind potentially. Injury ravaged squad, just three outfield players on the bench midweek for them. What's more important for them? This, this final in the EFL trophy or, or getting a place in the playoffs? I think playoffs, but it's marginal. It's marginal. I think, yeah, I think for the supporters, that well, I was at the Swindon game, for the people I spoke to around the club, they're kind of pinching themselves. You know, honestly, it's an amazing story. They're pretty well supported for a, for a Tuesday night away from home. And I think the players... You know, that goes hand in hand. The potential for some of these lads that have played the majority of their career in the non-league or uh, for, for some examples, the whole their whole career, to be League One footballers and to be going to Sunderland and Ipswich and Portsmouth and stuff like that. You know, that, that, that beats a day out at Wembley, I'm afraid, because you, you may get there in another competition, the Vars, the trophy. I'm sure some of the lads have been there before. So, yeah, I mean, it's it's going to be brilliant occasion to go to Wembley, but I just think what they're on the cusp of achieving, they need to just try and refocus, which is incredibly difficult because of the problems they've got right now. They had a, a centre-forward, Bougiel, in, in midfield. Lovett, his central midfield partner, I don't think had started a game in the league this season. Uh, a winger up front, uh, 40-year-old, 41-year-old, sorry if I'm doing him a disservice, substitute who doubles up as the fitness coach coming on for the last few minutes um it's not great right now because they've got big big problems and and big problems with some of their most senior players the most reliable players Eastman and, and Beautyman in midfield not available so this is another massive game that if they respond here then that'll give them probably incredible confidence uh, to 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 finish the job but a defeat against a good Tranmere side and I just sense with the way that Port Vale, Mansfield, Bristol Rovers are going, their challenge could peter out. But it would be 
it would be no disgrace because it's been an incredible season for them. And, you know, I really enjoyed watching them again on Tuesday. The spirit is so evident. And yes, Swindon are going for going for promotion as well, going for automatic promotion. But the way that they were made to work for it was incredibly impressive considering their problems. A Tranmere back to their best, do you think? Back-to-back wins against Mansfield and Harrogate after losing four of the previous five? I'm not sure. I thought the the Mansfield game could have gone either way. I thought Tranmere were better for, for periods, but Mansfield had great spells as well. It was quite end-to-end. Um, Elliot Nebbett obviously came to their rescue on that night and they got a, a helping hand from the officials, definitely, in, in their last game against Harrogate. Luke Armstrong should never have seen red. Um, that said, it's difficult to play against 10 men. Patience was the key. Uh, and they eventually broke them down. Lewis Warrington, by all accounts on loan from Everton, was the, the star performer in this game. And they've got they've got the best home record, the most wins, I think, in the whole of the EFL, which just shows you how formidable they are at home. So that's probably not what's going to um, you know, arrest their kind of march towards the, the playoffs or automatic promotion. It's whether they can take points from these games like the weekend. So I don't think they're fully back in their stride, but they're so streetwise, so defensively sound. That looks like that's what's going to prosper in League Two this year. The likes of Tranmere, Northampton. It's kind of how are they, you know, remaining so competitive? How without, you know, goal scorers that are fully informed that are scoring an abundance of goals, but it seems that this is the season for uh, for sides to be defensively resolute and 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 achieve promotion a different way. That certainly looks to be on the cards. Be a close one, I think, that one. Let's see what the odds are saying and bring in producer Abby, who's going to tell us about those games and who's expected to win them, courtesy of our friends at Paddy Power. Thank you, Matt. Yes, we'll begin in the Championship, where that uh, match for sort of second place takes place between Huddersfield and Bournemouth. And it is Bournemouth who are the heavy favourites here. They are 11-8 to eight to beat Huddersfield. Uh, Huddersfield 2-1, to one, and the draw uh, is 11-5 to five in that game. If we move over to League One and head down to the bottom of the table, we'll see that Fleetwood are the odds-on favourites to beat Doncaster um, which goes very much against the form books so uh, that that is an interesting one could get some value from Doncaster as as Sam mentioned they have pulled up a few results of late they are 10-3 to to beat Fleetwood Fleetwood 3-4 the draw 13-5 so there's some potential value in that one if you fancy taking a slightly riskier bet in that uh, direction and finally we head to League 2 Sutton hosting Tranmere and uh, Sutton the favourites in this one actually uh, they are 7-5 to five, Tranmere 2-2-1 two, two, and a draw 21-10 to 10. so I don't know about you but hearing and seeing that Sutton have got a very depleted squad I'm looking at Tranmere I'm looking at that 2-1 two, two, and I'm thinking that that might be uh, a good shout for some uh, value as well Thanks Abby you can find out these odds and more at paddypower.com or the Paddy Power app it's over 18s only prices are accurate at the time of recording and when the fun stops Stop. All right, before we go, Sam, I'm sure you're aware this week marks the 20th anniversary of the infamous Battle of Bramall Lane when the game between Sheffield United and West Brom had to be abandoned. The first and only time that's happened in English league football because of a lack of players. Uh, If you didn't know this, listener, this will shock you. Neil Warnock and Gary Megson were the respective managers. Uh, It leads me to ask, if it all kicked off in a game you were playing, in which current EFL player... Would you want on your side? Now, we know that fighting is is not your particular <laughs> skill or in your wheelhouse, Sam. So who are you hiding behind when it all kicks off? 
Well, I thought about Harry McCurdy because I just thought you'd rather have him on your side and he'd probably have a catapult or something down his, his sock. But I think there's only one answer here. And it's funny because he does, he does dive around a little bit at times, this, this guy, but it's all part of the, the, um, the, the package. It's Alexander Mitrovic I'm going with. Yeah, Someone okay. very much, you know, out of the same mould as myself, I would like to say, when I was playing. Um, you know, aggressive centre forward. Um, I think he'd scare people just purely the way he looks, to, to be honest. So definitely I'd be hiding behind big Alexander. Yeah, he was on my list. I had Adebayoak in Fenwa as well, but is he too nice? Is it, is it all just an act with him, do you think? Yeah, you, you can't base your answer here on, on FIFA stats. <laughs> Matt, I think you've right. fallen into that into that that trap. Yeah, yeah. Easy done. Troy Deeney, ex teammate of yours. Yeah, yeah. Troy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, definitely. All right. I'll maybe go Ryan Yates as well, just because I think that there's nothing that he can't do at the moment, and I'd like to just stand behind him, just to be that close to him. Um, there's a really good big read up on the Athletic now, by the way, listener. Go to theathletic.com/slash/league/show to sign up if you're not currently a subscriber. It's got all the quotes from everybody basically who was involved in in the stuff that happened that game. It's fair to say that Neil Warnock and Gary Megson do not like each other very much, um, but it's good rubbernecking stuff, so go and have a read of that if you can. Uh, we will be back on Monday when we'll be reflecting on all the weekend's games. Until then, many thanks to Sam and Abby to, for joining me today and for Adrian for posting his voice note. That was nice too. Uh, speak to you next week. Bye for now. You've been listening to the Totally Football League Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. Listen ad-free on the Athletic app and keep up to date with everything Totally by heading to at the Totally Show on Twitter and on Insta. Find out the latest subscription offers by going to theathletic.com forward slash league show. The Totally Football League Show is an Athletic Media Company production. The Athletic.